Welcome to this week's Rashi Shear, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. So, we are still, and we are happy to be, literally, in the Mizrahi Bet Midrash, and we continue from where we were last week with Perak Yud Tet, nearly at the very end of the Perak, nearly at the end of the story of Saddam and its aftermath, and that in particular is Lot and his two daughters. And last week we talked about how the two daughters got their father drunk so they could sleep with him, so they could uh, carry on what they thought was the remnants of the human race. And they did this successfully. And in Pasuk Lamed Zion we read, And the older one of the two daughters bore a son and she called his name Moav. And he is the father of the people of Moab until today. And I'm actually going to read the next passage as well, because we'll see Rashi only talks about Lamed Zion, but really he's talking about Lamed Chet as well. So Lamed Chet says, The younger one, She also bore a son, And he called, she called his name Ben Ami. Who avi b'nei Amon? He is the father of the children of Ammon until today. Ammon being still the name of the capital of Jordan, which is in the region where the people of Ammon settled. So we have here the two children born to, Moab, to, to Lot, Moab and Ammon, which became the two nations, um, which had a bit of trouble, or rather the Jews had a bit of trouble with them in later years, and we'll come to that in just a moment. But we know at the end of the day, we're not allowed to marry uh, people, at least males, from Moab or Ammon into the Jewish people, uh, females maybe yes, um, because they didn't offer bread and water when the Jews passed by, not quite clear exactly when that is, but that's what the Torah says. Anyway, Rashi says on Lamad Zayin the following, on the word Moab. Now Moab, let's understand, means Moab, from the father, whereas Ben Ami means son of my people. So Rashi says Moab, Zu, this one, so he's talking about Lamad Zion, so he's talking about the older um, daughter who was not Snu'ah, she was not modest. She publicized that from her father he was, i.e. the child, was called Moab to tell everyone in a sort of in-your-face manner that he was from her father. But the younger one, she called him, she called her son, in a literally clean expression. In other words, a more polite, less immodest expression. And she called him Ben Ami. So it doesn't quite hide the fact that he's the son of her and a close relative, member of her people, but it doesn't shout from the rooftops that he's the son of her father, as the older daughter does with the name of her child, Moab. Continues Rashi, regarding the younger daughter, who was more modest, the Kibla Sachar Bime Moshe. She received her reward in the days of Moshe. So it wasn't her personally, but it was her descendants. Shinema Bibne Aman Al Titgarbam, because it says in relation to the Bne Aman in the second parak of Devarim, do not uh, worry them, do not, uh, I'm going to roughly translate it as annoy them, klal at all. In other words, cause no dissension with the people of Ammon. Uber Moab. 
Lo he's here, With Moab, he only ins uh, instructed that they should not fight them, but to trouble them, he he permitted them. He, Hashem, or through Moshe, permitted the Bnei Israel to have some enmity and some dissent and uh, some uh, troubling with Moab, but with Ammon, no troubling at all. So it's important to remember that they did deserve punishment. Um, otherwise, this second part of Russia would make no sense. But the punishment was in such a way that only with Moab were they allowed to have some enmity. So what's Rashi doing? So the reason I wanted to look at Lamad Zayn and Lamad Chet is Rashi, I believe, is as usual, referring to a distinction between two similar but different events and explaining why they're similar but different. Both daughters had a son. Both daughters named a son. Both daughters named a son, which in some respect referred to the origins of the son. However, one daughter was much more blatant and one daughter was much less blatant. So Rashi makes the point that the reason the older daughter was more blatant was because she was not Snu'a and the younger daughter was more Snu'a. That's why they have a different level of identification, if you like. And then the second part of Rashi, I think is there to tell you that there is always Kharva Onesh in the world. There's always reward and punishment in the world. So what the older daughter did gets punished many, many generations later by her descendants, Moab, being subject to some degree of affliction from Bnei Israel, and the other daughter doesn't get that punishment. That's her reward or her relative reward or lack of punishment. And again, you see the theme, which I think runs through Rashi's analysis of this episode, that it is bad. Sorry, it is a mitzvah. It's a good thing that they were doing, but nevertheless, it's an ugly thing that they were doing. And as I said last week, there is a tension between those two. You can't just say it's completely wrong and you can't just say it's completely right. It was necessary. And indeed, as the Gemara says, they had the right intention. However, it was still ugly and something that is um, very, very discomforting. And they should have felt that discomfort. And the fact that to some extent they didn't, particularly the elder one, who rushed into the initiative, and the fact that she named her son in such a way that blatantly advertises what she's done, that was, that was reprehensible. So it's not that they did something that it was inherently bad, strange though it may seem, because their motivation was pure. We acknowledge that, Rashi acknowledges that. However, it should have been done in a much more reluctant and modest manner, and it wasn't, and that's what Rashi, I think, brings to bear. Yes? Why? Um... Do we prefer Amon as Amon and not Ben Ami or Ben Amon? Um, like with Moab, it's like, how can crush my Moab? So she calls his name Ben Ami, and we call it, the, 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 therefore they're called Bene Aman. I don't know. Sorry. Fair question. I mean, obviously there's a connection between Ben Ami and Bene Amon, but uh, how did Ami turn into Amon? I don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah, they, as, as it says in the Pasuk, they're B'nai Amon. Hmm. So they still got the Ben part. Yeah. But more interesting is why B'nai Ami is turned into B'nai Amon, I'm not quite sure. But even now when we refer to it, we refer to it just as Amon. Oh, that's right, correct. You can't the Ben or B'nai part. I see what you mean, yes. Um, yep, sorry. I'll put that on the list as a good question. Okay, we now move on to Perak Kaf, and we move into a whole new episode, the story of Abraham and Sarah, uh, hosted by Avi Melech in Gerar, and uh, well, we'll see what happened there. And it's introduced in the first pasuk of Perak 
Kaf, and it says, Misham Avraham, Hanegev. Abraham journeyed from there, Arza Hanegev, to the land of the Negev, Vayeshev ben Kadesh u ben Shor, and he dwelt between Kadesh and Shor, Vayagar Bigrar, and he was sojourning at the Lushan Ger in the place called Gerar. Okay. To which Rashi says on the words for Yisamisham Abraham, when he saw that the cities were destroyed, and the passers-by stopped, because no longer were they going on their way, they weren't passing his tent on the way to Saddam, because there was no Saddam, so there was no passers-by. So he journeyed from there. Another uh, explanation, to distance himself from Lot. Because a bad name had come about Lot, that he had had relations with his daughters. So Rashi gives two answers to explain something. What's he explaining? He's explaining, well, the simple answer is explaining why Abraham journeyed. But why does he have to explain that? So the answer probably is there's an extra word there. The word Misham. He journeyed from there. There's two points to make about the word Misham. Number one, we don't need it at all. You could have just said, but you saw Abraham. Secondly, the problem with Misham, not only is it uh, unnecessary, but once it's there, it indicates that the reason for his journeying was to get away from there. In other words, he was journeying away from somewhere rather than towards somewhere. So then Rashi's faced with the question, what was he journeying away from? And Ren Rashi gives two answers. So answer number one, he was journeying away from the um, uh, position of being near, near the remnants of Saddam and nobody passing by. So that wasn't a good place to be. So he moves to a better place to be. Answer number two, he's journeying away from Lot. By the way, um, you could say that there's a hint. I, th I think this is pushing it, to be honest. But you could say there's a hint in the word Misham towards at least the first answer, because it's related to the word Shaman, which means destruction. So he's moving from the destruction. I, I don't think it really works because it, it should have a double mem and it doesn't, but, but it's an interesting idea. And then I thought maybe according to the second explanation, if you're gonna go that far, you can say the second explanation is journeying from the shame Ra. Rashi does put in the point that there's a shame Ra on uh, Lot. So maybe somebody wants to say, I hadn't seen it, but maybe someone wants to say, Misham, if that's the key word that we're, that, that, that's forcing Rashi to say what he says, you could say there's an allusion to shame Ra. Now, why do we need two explanations? So as usual, we go to the muscular David and he does help us on this occasion. Although I'm not terribly convinced by, by what, what he says. He says, if it was because of the um, first answer, there's an insufficiency there. And the, the, uh, the problem with the first answer is if he's going to move because of the destruction of Saddam, then he should have moved earlier. He should have moved as soon as Hashem said, I will destroy the place if I don't find 10 people there. And the um, Sanigor, as Rashi said at the end of Perik Yudchet, the Sanigor departed, the Katigor came, the defender departed, the accuser came. It should have been obvious that they were going to be destroyed. So that was the time to move, not to hang about. Um, the problem I find with that explanation is it seems, we, sorry, we, we don't really have a clue about the chronology here. And the way I read it is he moved, Abraham moved away pretty soon, but maybe there's a suggestion that he didn't move away pretty soon. Hence the question, why didn't he move away pretty soon? So that's why, says the muscular love, you need a second answer. 
But he also says the second answer is a little bit insufficient as well. I mean, what's the difference if he's a certain distance away from Lot or if he's even further away from Lot? First of all, Lot is not the same as Abraham. They've separated. They are in now in, in two different uh, entities. And there's no real reason why the bad name about Lot should impact on Abraham. Secondly, if it does, there's not much difference between being like very near and being a bit further away. So the muscular David says both answers are a little bit unsatisfactory. But the point I want to stress is that Rashi is bringing both answers to explain why it says Misham, implying that he was moving away from something negative. Well, just really quickly, sorry, um, the first answer, the original answer was he's moving away for like travelers because like he wants to do more chesed. Yes, exactly. Because uh, Avram exists to do chesed. We learned that from the whole tent with four sides. Um, and so if he's in an area where there's no passersby, he's got no point in being there. Okay. So they come to the place of Gerar, which is where the Philistines, the Palishtim, live. And we have in Pasuk Bet, Avraham El Sarah Ishto. Avraham said, now we're going to translate El in a normal way as two, but spoiler alert, we might have to uh, change that. Avraham El Sarah Ishto. Avraham said to Sarah, his wife, Achotihi, she is my sister. And Avimelech sent, he, sorry, Avimelech, the king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. So, Abraham is doing the same thing that he did when he went to Mitzrayim in Perik Yudbet, Posik Yud Gimel. Um, and it's the same thing that, sorry, that uh, Yitzchak is going to do with Rivka in Parsha Toldot. And funny enough, it always ends in disaster. Now, not so much for Yitzchak, but certainly for Abraham. And it's an interesting question why he does it twice. Um, uh, especially after the first one didn't end so well. And the answer presumably is, and this is relevant to what Rashi is about to say, he still thought it was necessary. He thought that they were coming to a place, and we'll see later why he thought that, where uh, if a husband has got an attractive wife, the husband's going to be killed. That's what they do. But if the, if the, if the wife is not a wife and she's not married, then the husband is not going to be killed, sorry, the person who we know as the husband is not going to be killed. And also, and by the way, Rav Hirsch says this, and I think it's worth pointing out, that um, if, if, the, if the companion, if the male companion is not the husband, but it's the brother, then he is, as it were, the guardian. So it's not very uh, politically correct in those ancient times, but the brother is the guardian of the sister. So by saying they're brother and sister, that gives him an opportunity to try and protect her. But if they were identified as husband and wife, that gives him no opportunity to protect her because he would be killed. Anyway, that's what his plan is. Rashi says, Abraham, kan lo natal rushut. Here, he did not take permission. But he did it, he forced it on her, on Sarah. He didn't give her the option because it's not for her good. Because she'd already been taken to the house of Paro through this. In other words, on the previous installment, things were pretty difficult for Sarah. She was basically kidnapped. She was put into the harem. Only because Hashem helped her was she saved from that fate. So Abraham realizes she won't agree to it again. So he doesn't give her the choice. Now, this is a little bit problematic in terms of the ethics of the issue, but I tried to explain that this is the only way for Avram to stay alive, and it's really the only way for Avram to be in a position to um, protect Sarah. But why does Rashi say what he says? So again, 
um, I always come back to this because I think it's the most common driver for Rashi's comment. We have two similar things, but different. To what is this similar? This is very similar to the going down to Egypt. However, there, and I don't have it in front of me, but if you look in Perik Yudbet, Pasuk Yudgimel, he asks her permission. He says, Imri please say that you are my sister. And here he doesn't do anything of the sort. He doesn't ask her permission. So Rashi explains why he doesn't ask her permission, because he understood that he wasn't going to be given that permission. Then we have to say the next Rashi on the words El Sarah Ishto. And Rashi says it means Al Sarah Ishto, about Sarah, his wife. And Rashi believes, and he says this elsewhere, that El really can be interchanged with Al. Aleph and Ayin are similar letters. They're both guttural letters. Sometimes they're exchanged with each other. So where it says Al, El, it can be read as Al. But furthermore, it has to be read as Al because there's a very simple grammatical problem if it's read as El. And the word, the problem is the word he, she. Because if you look at the first six words, seven words, it says, Abraham el If we translated it as El as two, you would find Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And what should it say? It should say, you are my sister, like it did say when they went down to Egypt, when as Rashi said, that was a different situation. That's where he asked her permission. So he said to her, please say you're my sister. But here, there's two things which are driving the same, reaching the same point. That's why these two Rashis fit beautifully together. If it says, he, he's talking about her. That's why he has to say that El means Al. And he's not talking to her. And that's why Rashi says he doesn't take, ask her permission. And Rashi explains why he doesn't ask her permission, because he knows she's not going to give it because it's going to be bad for her. Then we move on to Pasuk Gimel. And there's no Rashi, but we'll read the Pasuk anyway. So Abimelech has taken Sarah, all in the breath of one verse. And now Hashem comes to Abimelech in a dream of the night. And he says to him, Behold, you're going to die because of the woman whom you took. And she is a married woman. And Abimelech, well, we'll see how Abimelech responds in a minute. So Hashem immediately intervenes. This is all happening very quickly. And that's quite important to understand. Abimelech takes Sarah and immediately Hashem appears and says, you're going to die because of the woman whom you've took, because she's a married woman. And then it says in Pasuk Dalet, but Abimelech lo karav eleha. Abimelech did not draw near to her. In other words, he didn't touch her. He didn't have relations with her. And he said, Adonai, God, hagoi gam tzaddik taharog. So the nation, like the righteous person, will you kill. So Rashi explains a little bit of what's going on here. First of all, Rashi on the words, lo karav eleha. He did not draw near to her, i.e. he didn't touch her. Ha-malach mana'o. The malach prevented him. Kamoshine emar, as it says, lo nataticha lingoa elaha. I did not let you touch her. And that is in Pasuk Vav, which we get to in a moment. Hashem says, lo nataticha lingoa elaha. I did not let you touch her. 
Now, Rashi's problem is quite simple. It says here clearly in Pasuk Vav, Hashem says, I didn't let you touch her. So therefore, when it says in Pasuk Dalet, which sounds like it came from Avimelech, we've got a contrast, we've got a contradiction. Was it Avimelech's initiative not to touch her, or was it Hashem preventing him? So the Hashem preventing him wins. And Rashi says that when it says Avimelech lo it means Hamalach Mana'o. The Malach prevented him. Commotion Emma, as it says later on, So we have to make Pasuk Vav, sorry, Pasuk Dalad fit in with Pasuk Vav. And we do that by re framing Lokaravelaha as not something that he had, uh, that came from his initiative. It, we're also going to come up, because the next couple of Pesukim is really a sort of a tug of uh, Hashem tussling with Abimelech about how responsible Abimelech was and how righteous Abimelech was. Yeah, yes. Just go on that, because this Pasuk sort of makes it seem as if Abimelech did take the initiative not to. Correct. So, as I said, with, with, with Rashi is led by Pasuk Vav. And his explanation of Pasuk Dalet. But you'll see, I mean, we give Hashem the last word and we assume what Hashem says is right. Okay, the next thing that Rashi needs to do is explain these words, Hagoi Gam Sadik Taharog, which literally means the nation and also the righteous person will you kill. So Rashi says, Hagoi Gam Sadik Taharog, Af Im Hud Sadik Tahargeno, even if he is a Sadik, you will kill him. Now, this is Abimelech's words. Abimelech speaking to Hashem. Rashi's filling out the words for us. So Abimelech says to Hashem, even if he's a Sadiq, you will kill him. Maybe this is your way. To destroy the nations for nothing. So you did to the generation of the flood. And to the generation of the dispersal, i.e., the ones who build the tower of Migdal Bava. Afani Omer, similarly, I also say, says, continues Abimelech, Shaharagtam, you killed them, Alodavar, for no reason. Kamosha Ata Omer Lahargeni, just like you say that you're going to kill me. Now, notice um, Hashem has actually pronounced the death sentence. In Pastor Gimel, he said, Hinacha mate, you're going to die. So Abimelech is responding to the fact that he's been given a death sentence. And he says, I'm a tzaddik, uh, as you'll see, as his, uh, that, that's his whole defense. And therefore, I'm innocent. And therefore, if you're telling me you're going to kill me and I'm a tzaddik, it turns out that that seems to be your derech, to kill people for no reason. But who are the people whom he says you kill for no reason? So really, the key word is the word goy. Rashi is focusing on the word goy. And goy means a nation. It means a collective entity. That's, how, that's what the word means. It can't refer to an individual. So Abimelech says you're going to kill a goy and you're going to kill a tzaddik. Now, who's the goy? It's not the people of Gerak because they're not threatened. Uh, as it happens, the people in Abimelech's household, according to Rashi, are stricken. But there's no suggestion he's going to kill the nation of, of the, uh, the Pelishtim. So therefore, says Rashi, that Abimelech must be talking about other nations whom Hashem has killed. So when has Hashem killed collective entities? Doha Mabul and Doha Palaga. Why not Saddam? I don't know. I don't know. Can Goy refer to a door? Like Saddam stands up a much more reasonable connection. 
So you're saying that Goy should be like a small group, like a city, yes, rather right. than the entire world, right. which is Doha, Mabul, and Doha, Palagam. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it sounds from Rashi that he rules out any other possibility. I, I'm just thinking, you know, who's been killed up till now? Those two generations, but also the people of Saddam. Maybe it just occurs to me that people of Saddam were universally evil. That, that's acknowledged. So Abi Malak's not going to make any claim that they died innocently. That, that's impossible. Maybe. So he's not, interesting. If you look carefully at his logic, according to Rashi, he's not saying that Lachadchila, like Abinishio, that the generation of the flood and the generation of Migdal Babel were killed um, for no reason. He's saying, if you kill me and I'm a tzaddik, then I conclude that they also were killed for no reason. So it, it's almost a propaganda war. He's saying, if you kill me, that's what I'm going to say. And Rashi makes that by saying, also, I will say, I'm putting it in the future, or I do say that you killed them Al, for no reason, because, or just as you say, you're going to kill me. Now, just by the way, it's interesting that he brings in both of those. Um, I did see a, a very nice idea, but there's a fundamental difference between Doha Mabul and Doha Palaga. If you kill an entire nation, it could be for one of two reasons. It could be because each individual is bad, or because collectively, under their leadership, they're doing a bad thing. And interestingly, you have that in those two generations. Doha Mabul, there's no collective leadership. They were just all rotten. They just all stole from each other. Whereas Doha Palaga, they were led to do a bad thing as a collective society. So I saw the suggestion that Rashi says that Abimelech brings both examples when after all the Pasuken, he says Goy, so all he needs to find is one example. He brings two to cover the two different ways in which a nation can be held guilty. And then uh, he says, continuing in his defense in Pasuk, hey, hello, who amarli achoti he? Behold, he said to me, achoti he, she is my sister. The he, gam he, and she, also she, Omra, said, Achihu, he is my brother. And then he says, Batam Levavi, with the purity of my heart, Ubnekion Kapai, and with clean palms, Asitizot, I did this. So, what does he mean by all this? So, the first thing Rashi says, and this one is quite, Rashi, I think, makes clear what he's explaining, because he's on the words gam he. Also, she. Let's just look at the context again in the pasuk. Hey, hello, who amarli achoti he? The he gam he amra achi. And really, we've got two problems. What is the gam, or what is the he? There's clearly repetition there. So there's gam, which is often a, an extra inclusion. Chazal um, often darshan gam as including more than what you would have had without the word gam. But you've got he gam he. There's clearly repetition there. So Rashi says, to include the servants and the camel drivers and the donkey drivers of her. All of them I asked, and they said to me, she is, sorry, he is her brother. Interestingly, Rashi um, says that he asked the staff of her not the staff of him. That Abimelech didn't claim that Abimelech had asked Abraham's staff who she is. Um, and I suppose there, I mean, the, 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 the pastor clearly is saying, um, he, gum, he, 
which implies extra people related to her. It's also said that perhaps there's no point in asking the servants of Abraham. Abraham is the one who's saying she's my sister. So the servants are definitely, of Abraham are definitely going to say the same thing. The Chiddush, if you like, the uh, extra thing that Abimelech uh, appreciates is that the servants of her say the same thing. The servants of her are backing up his story, which gives more credence to it. Whereas if the servants of him doesn't, uh, he doesn't bother asking them because they're not going to add anything to what he already, what Avimelech's already heard from Abraham. But that's also implied in the words gam he, it's something extra to her, i.e. her, if you like, her household staff. And this is part of Avimelech's defense that I've done the right thing. I've asked and I've verified for myself that she is an unmarried woman. She's a sister, not a wife. And therefore, it was betam livavi with the purity of my heart, ubenakion kapai, and with the cleanliness of my hands that I did this. Look at me. I am, as he said in the previous pasuk, a tzaddik, and therefore I shouldn't be killed. Rashi explains tam livavi ubenakion kapai because they, they sound pretty similar. So Rashi has to explain what each of them is. But tam livavi shalom dimiti lachatov. I didn't imagine to sin. I am clean from sin. Because I did not touch her. What is Rashi doing? How, how's Rashi separating these two qualities that Avimelech claims to have? One is the heart and one is the action. So one is the machshava and one is the actual action. And, and it fits because with your heart, that's where your seat of uh, yearning is, your seat of desire, your seat of intention. But hands are what actually do the job. And that's why he says, why Rashi says, Tam Lavavi refers to my intention, Shalodamiti Lachto, and Nikion Kapai refers to my actions. And I didn't do any actions, I didn't touch her. Now, it's also very relevant, what Rashi is saying here is, is uh, essential to set us up for what Hashem says back to um, Avimelech, because he says in Pasuk Vav, Hashem said to him, Bachalom, in the dream, Bachalom, in the dream, it's the dream that's already been talked about, Rashi doesn't say this, but I'll say it, because uh, he already started having a dream in Pasuk Gimel, and it's still the same dream, that's why it's Bachalom, in the dream. Gam anochi yodati, I also know, ki vatam lavavacha asita zot, that in the purity of your heart, you did this. And I protected Gam Anochi, also I, Utcha, you, Michatoli, from sinning against me. And therefore, I didn't allow you, I didn't let you um, to touch her. Okay, so Hashem says, I'm not really convinced by what you say. I accept part of it, but I don't accept more of it. I notice that whereas um, Abimelech says two things, I did it, but what does Hashem say? He says, I know you did it, but doesn't mention. And that's what Rashi wants to say. So he says, Rashi says, etc. Emet, uh, it's true that you didn't originally intend to sin. But there's no Nakia Kapayim. Sorry, I, I sort of gave the game away my earlier comment. Rashi is 
contrasting hey and love. Whereas in hey, there were, there were two things. In vav, there's only one. And Rashi's already explained that tamla bavi means he didn't intend to sin. And Hashem, Rashi says that Hashem acknowledges that because emet shalod demiti mitchila lachto. Now, as Rashi is saying, the way I, Rashi, explained tamla bavi in the previous pasuk is the same as the way Hashem is using it now. But the Nakiyam Kapayim is not there. Why? Because Hashem continues to say, um, I prevented you from sinning. It wasn't your hands that prevented you from sinning. I prevented you from sinning. I didn't let you touch her. Says Rashi, Lo Natatiha, Lo Mimachahaya. It wasn't from you, Shalona Gataba, that you didn't touch her. Ela hasachti ani otra. I prevented you, Mechato, from sinning. Velo natati lacha koach. I didn't give you the strength. So I, I took away the power from you so you couldn't actually sin with her. So he's saying, you didn't originally intend to sin because you thought she was his sister, but you did intend to touch her. You did intend to act physically. And the fact that you didn't isn't because you're free of sin, but because I didn't let you. And with that, Rashi explains Hashem's response to his claim in Pasuk A, which is Hashem's response is different in Pasuk Bal. And that's why there's no Nakia Kapayim, which Rashi pointed out as the difference. And he said that at the beginning of his comment here on Vav. And the reason is um, because you did intend to act. You didn't intend to sin. That's emet. As Rashi says, that's true. I accept that, says Hashem. But you did intend to act. The last thing Rashi has to do is explain how he knows that lona taticha means I didn't let you. Um, because... Um, what I, I just, okay? What um, uh, what would you expect? No, natatiha mean? I didn't give you. Natati means to give. So where do you know that it means I didn't let you? So Rashi brings um, an example, two examples, um, where it clearly must mean I did not let you. V'chein lo natnu elokim, Hashem did not let him. That is what um, love, sorry, not about Lavan. That is what Yaakov says to his daughters about Lavan. That he says to his daughters, sorry, not to his wives. Lavan says to Rachel Aleh, your father tried to hurt me, but Hashem didn't let him. And the next one, the chain, lo not no aviha lavo. That is relation to Shimshon, um, wants to uh, be with his wife. And her wife, his wife's father didn't let her go. So in both those cases, it's absolutely um, unambiguous but lo, not no means he did not allow her. Um, I have a funny feeling I forgot to uh, say something on, yes, I did, I'm sorry about, uh, if we go back to Pastor uh, Bet, sorry to go out of order, guys, um, very sorry, uh, but I just, for the sake of completeness, um, when Rashi says that El Sarai Ishto is to be understood as Al Sarai Ishto, that the L means about rather than two. Rashi gave an example, there's actually two examples in one of to prove this point. Kyotsebo, sorry, my apologies for not doing this before. Kyotsebo, El Halokach Aron, the Gomer, the El Mot Chamiha. So we're talking, it's a very, very sad story. Um, at the end of the life of, well, Ailey's, no, Ailey's about to die. 
Now, Eli has died, and Pinchas has been, his son, Pinchas, I think, has died, and the Aaron has been captured, and Pinchas's wife, Eli's daughter-in-law, is very, very upset, and she's upset. El mut chamiha, uh, sorry, it's the second one. El hilokach Aaron. Now, she's upset, blank, the taking of the Aaron. El mot chamiha, she's upset, blank, the death of, his, of her father-in-law. What goes in the blank? It must be the word about. It can't be she's upset to the taking of the Aaron. She's upset to the death of her father-in-law. So there, the word El must mean about. And that's what Rashi, that Rashi proves that that's why El in this case can also mean about. That was going back to Pasuk Bet. So we are continuing now with Pasuk Zion. So Hashem says, continues to Abimelech, saying, uh, he um, tell- So this is quickly, sorry to interrupt. Um, it seems that um, Abimelech also says that, like, it's also with some also saying that, like, I, like, Jesus says, um, like, yes. as in, which is sending the contradictory to watch. Like, maybe it's like a party line that Abraham and Salem and all the servants said. But it's sort of interesting that, like, I don't know, that Rashi says that Stephanie Al-Kochach or Kochach without her. Yeah, um, you say the party line. So your, your point is that Rashi said in Pasuk um, Bet that Abraham didn't ask her permission, but Abimelech says that she went along with it. I, um, but I, I don't see that as a problem. She didn't have any choice. She's not going to, if, if Abraham's made the decision, but they're going to do the brother-sister trick, she's not going to uh, grass on Abraham, which will cause his death and won't be good for anybody. So. It's definitely, it's, uh, the implication is Rashi, had he asked her, she wouldn't have agreed, but now he's gone ahead and done it, she's got no choice. Uh, and you're right, I mean, if you wondered whether that was the case, it's clearly it is the case, because Abimelech says, I asked her, and I asked her servants. So we're up to Zion. And now return the wife of the man, Kinavihu because he is a Navi, and he will pray for you, that's Hashem says to Abimelech, and you will live. So you're not going to die after all. And if you don't return, know that you will surely die, you and all who are yours, you and your household. So he says, you must now return the wife of the man because he is a Navi, and he will pray for you. What stands out as odd? Why does he need Avraham to pray for him? Okay, so at this point I have to say, Rashi will say here, and I'll show you why Rashi says, that Avimelech is ill. Okay, so that's why he needs to pray for him. As in, why does he need to be done for? Like, why does Hashem say, oh, and Avraham will pray on your behalf to me? And then I'll say, why can't he say, and I'll save you straight away? Um, that's a good question. Why does he need Abraham to dub and why doesn't Abimelech just save him? Uh, I think that, that, that perhaps leads to the question of why do we dubbing at all when Hashem's going to do whatever Hashem needs to do. But it happens to be a case where he's got a direct line of communication yeah. with God already. Ah, because? I mean, they're in the middle of a conversation. Oh, okay. Oh, even right. better. Even, just, even stronger. Just say, I'll, I'll, I'll save you. Okay, maybe actually Rashi answers your question. I'm, I'm thinking now because I, I know what Rashi's going to say. So maybe Rashi answers your question, but that actually isn't what I 
wasn't my intended answer. Uh, it seems to me, and I've seen the Rashi, that kinavihu is the word to stand out as odd. Why, why is it relevant? Return his wife because he's a prophet. How about return his wife because that's what you should do, because he's a husband? Wouldn't that be a good enough answer? Why does it say return his wife because he is a prophet? Which sounds like the reason you should return his wife is because he is a prophet. And that doesn't make sense. So that's what Rashi comes to fix. And he says, Do not think that perhaps she will be disgraced in his eyes. And he won't accept her. I mean, maybe you might think that is asking a lot of Abraham. Sarah's been taken. We don't know what happened um, in the harem. And now she's being given back. Abraham might think that she's uh, not, not who he doesn't want to be his uh, husband anymore. So he says, you might think that, but don't think that. Or the other thing you shouldn't think is the following. Or Yisna'acha, that he will hate you below Yitpalelalecha, and he won't govern for you. So two things don't think. Don't think that he will not take his wife back. Don't think that he will hate you and not govern for you. Kinavihu. Because he is a Navi. And through his prophetic insight, he knows that you didn't touch her. Therefore, he will govern for you. So in other words, the problem is, I suppose, really the key. Key as in key. Because key means because. So well, the first five words say, now return the wife of the man because... So it sounds like that Kinavihu is the reason for Heshev Ish. That doesn't make sense. So what does Rashi do? Rashi invents a whole new part of the story that fits between the Atah Heshev Ish and the word Ki. He says, return his wife. You've got to return his wife. And the Kinavihu is the reason not that you should return his wife, because that doesn't make sense. But the reason that you shouldn't, and Rashi creates this, or Rashi gets it from the Midrash, but Rashi needs to intercalate, interpolate at this point that you might be worried for two things. You might be worried that he won't accept his wife, and you might be worried that he will hate you and not love him for you. You don't need to be worried. So now the key is giving the reason for not returning his wife, but for something completely different. That Rashi had it in, to make the key Navihu make sense. And then he says, and because he's a Navi, he will govern for you. Now, I, I guess the answer to your question is that he's going to be really good at governing. And a Navi has got a hotline to Hashem. And it's funny you point out that Abimelech's got a hotline to Hashem right now. But I think we can suggest that Abraham's got a better hotline to Hashem. You know, Abraham tried to govern to save five evil cities. So Avram can govern to save Abimelech and his household. He's, he's, he's really good at that. But he's only going to do it if he knows that you haven't touched his wife, which will only be the case because we know he's a novice. So uh, I hear your question, and it's a very good question. Uh, it seems to me that Rashi and the Pasuk are saying that if you're ill and you want to get better, Avram's your best bet because he's, he's not just any old governor, he's a novice and presumably better than you are. By the way, you raise a, a very interesting question, which I haven't got an answer to. I mean, most of us don't reach the level of Nabua. Uh, it's very, very hard to become an Avi. 
um, the Rambam describes how you can only be a Navi if you reach the very, very heights of, of, of purity and, and intelligence and wisdom, and eventually you'll get to the level of Nevoah. It turns out Abimelech is, is granted that opportunity. Abimelech gets what most of us don't get, which is Hashem appearing to him and speaking directly to him. So I just point that out sort of in relation to what you were saying, that it's, it, 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 it's odd. <laughs> okay. Who else had an odd vision in the night? Which one? Parah. Uh, not from Hashem. I don't think Hashem spoke to Paro. Yeah, thinking... The first time that Sarah was kidnapped, was there a communication with God or not? No. No. I'm thinking of two people who, again, you wouldn't expect to deserve a vision from God. Bilam. Yep. And Lavan. Uh, quite similar between the two of them, but we won't go there now. So now we're on to Pasuk uh, Chet. Vayash came Avimelech Babokia. Avimelech got up early in the morning. And he called all his servants, et kol ha'ela. And he um, said to he said all these things, but Osnehem in their ears, and the people were very worried. No Rashi. Avimelech called Abraham, and he said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned to you? that you bring on me and on my um, kingdom this great sin things that should not be done you have done with me okay um, first thing you know is the incredible chutzpah so Yes, Abimelech thought that she was his sister. But by the way, something we haven't said, just because somebody's unmarried doesn't mean you can kidnap her and then have your way with her. But Abimelech seems to say that's absolutely fine. And he blames the whole thing on Abraham. And Abraham's going to say, actually, it's not so bad. And there was a reason why I did what I did. And actually, I'm justified in saying she's my sister because she's actually my niece, which is pretty much the same thing. We'll, we'll come on to that. But right now, Abimelech says, I can't understand how you've done this terrible sin to me. And in particular, ma'asim asher lo ye asu, things that should not be done, asita imadi, you have done with me. To what is he referring? When he says things that should not be done. Lying about the sister and, and getting me into trouble. Okay, so I, I ask you that to set us up for the fact on this occasion, Rashi seems to go left field. Rashi brings an interpretation which seems to be so far from the obvious Peshat. So let's see what the interpretation is, and let's try and understand why the obvious answer that things that should not be done, i.e. Avraham telling, saying that she's my sister, is not what those words refer to. So can I quickly on what you were saying before? I wasn't asking before, but I seem to have sort of a way of the times, but why does Hashem accept Abimelech's Betam Levalcha if he is still taking her seemingly against her will? Um, good question. Um, I think my, my, my initial thought is, yes, that is sort of part of the times. Um, maybe, uh, look, I, I just pointed out that it's really not right to take any unmarried woman and just take her. But maybe in comparison to taking a married woman, that is much, much less bad. Um, um, the way the Torah sees it, it's bad. And I think it's bad. And Abimelech clearly doesn't come out well out of this story. But it's not the sin of Eshadish, which is a different degree altogether. Um, 
I think we, we have different sensibilities and perhaps we have better sensibilities about it now that, that it didn't seem quite so bad in those days. Okay, what does Rashi say about Ma'aseh Ma'asheh Lo Yasu? So we're in positive intent. Rashi's comment is, Maka Asher Lo Hurgala Lavo Al Briach. It was a affliction which was not usual to come onto a creature. Ba'olanu has come to us al yadcha through your hand. So we're suffering. That's what Avimelech says. We're suffering, pardon me, and it's your fault. And when it says, it's an unnatural illness. It's something that is weird and rare. And what is it? It's a closure up of all the um, openings, all the holes, of semen, and urine, Urai and excrement, but as Nayim Vachotem and ears and nose. All our orifices are blocked up. You know, we say Ashe Yatsar to thank Hashem for opening up all the orifices that we all have, um, because if we don't, it's very, very dangerous. They had all their orifices closed up. Okay, a few things to say. So, number one, and we'll show, I'll show you where Rashi gets this from in just a moment. Um, Rashi mentions here, and he mentions a couple of places later, but this was the affliction on Abimelech and his household, a closure up of all their orifices. Next point is, Rashi says, this is what Ma'asem HaShel Yasu refers to. Why doesn't he accept that, as, as we suggested, that Ma'asem HaShel Yasu, things that should not be done, refers to Avraham saying that Sarah is his sister. That's according to Abimelech, the cause of all the problem. And it's what you've done. So says the Ma'aral, uh, and others, but the Maharal says this, that that is a, if you like it, it's a, if, if it's a sin, as Abimelech says, it's a sin of dibur. That is not a sin of ma'aseh. That is not an action. Avram hasn't done physically anything. Abimelech's not accusing him of doing something. He's accusing him of saying something that is not ma'aseh. And, and I haven't checked, but I think perhaps the idea is if you look the use of the word Masa in Tanakh, it's always a physical action. It's not just ver verbiage. So that's why it can't mean that you have said something. It's also in the plural. It's also, I was just coming to that, it's also in the plural. Because if it had been the act of saying she is my sister, perhaps that would have been Masa, if it could even have been described as Masa. But this is Masim, it's something bigger. Now, I, I do need to jump, look at the clock, we're coming to the end of the year, but I do need to jump to show you where Rashi gets the whole idea of this, the nature of this disease. So if you jump all the way to Pasuk Yud Zayin. So at the end of the story, uh, there's a certain reconciliation and Avram davens to Hashem. And Hashem healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants, and they gave birth. Because Hashem had closed up all the wounds in the household of Abimelech, because of Sarah, or on the word of Sarah, the wife of Abraham. So if you look at Yud Zayin and Yud Chet, without Rashi, without the Midrash, it sounds like, we know that phrase, the women were not able to give birth. They were infertile. That was what was the situation. And Avram davened, and lo and behold, 
they all ceased to be infertile, which, and it says in your design, and they gave birth. Rashi doesn't say that's what it means. Rashi says, um, on the words by Yaleidu, you got there on Yudzayan, he quotes the Targum, which means they had a sort of uh, an expansion. Their orifices were opened for Hotziu and they were able to bring out. So all the things that they couldn't bring out before, which we mentioned, now they could come out. And that is what is meant figuratively by giving birth. Uh, when a woman gives birth, what's in her comes out. So this was the phrase is used to describe what was happening to all the people, but all the things inside them, all their bodily fluids were stuck and now they could come out. Okay. Why does Rashi say it refers to some strange disease, which is what Abimelech is talking about in Pasuk as we just saw, that all their openings were closed, when the simple shot is the women couldn't give birth and then they gave birth. Any thoughts? And by the way, there's a monster clue in Pasuk inside. It's Abimelech and his wife. So two problems brought down in the Mephoshim. So I'll give you the second one first. Is this, the whole incident, as I said, took place in a short span of time. Sounds like Abimelech Sarah was taken and immediately Hashem appears and he gives her back. And then Abraham doubles. It's like within a day. And it doesn't make sense to say that all the women in the household were due to give birth Dafka on that day. And which would apply that they were Avram Davin for and they were all healed. So that's the, if you like, the second reason when it can't mean literally they gave birth. But the real clincher is that Avi Melech was also healed. And Avi Melech is male and couldn't give birth. So whatever they were suffering from, it was applies both to men and women. And therefore, Rashi says in On Yud Zion that Leda is a metaphor for their orifices being opened. So having said that, based on Yud Zion, he then uses that idea to explain on Pasuk Tet what Abimelech is talking about. Deeds that should not be done, Rashi says, slightly rephrasing, it's a disease which is not regular, it's not we're accustomed to. In other words, it's very strange to come on us. And then Rashi says what the disease is, and it is very strange. So Rashi, since it can't be referring to Abraham's action because Abraham didn't do an action, and perhaps also because it's in the plural, so it must mean something completely different. I, Rashi relates this to what Rashi explains in Yudzai and about the nature of a disease and says that's what Abimelech is complaining about. Okay, we'll stop there. Thank you very much. Question? Um, we won't stop, we'll have a question. Precise on Rashi in terms of the examples you said about Zera, um, urine, excrement, ears, and nose. There are other, other things in the body, other than the mouth, like the fact that I guess still speak. I don't know, eyes. I don't know is there anything about why? I suppose these are all openings which things come out of. Okay. I mean, I know we're already wearing masks because things come out of our mouth, but basically it doesn't. I suppose, uh, you know, mucus comes out of your nose and wax come out of your ears. I, no, without getting too anatomical and sure. pretty, pretty gross, uh, I presume that's what it means. Thank you. Okay, we will stop there. Thank you very much. Thank you, Rabbi.